Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, welcome to the New Books in Jewish Studies channel on the New Books Network podcast. I'm your host, Ari Barbalat. I'm honored and blessed to be in dialogue today with Ephraim Kolmiansky, formerly known as Alexander Kolmiansky. He is the author of the book and memoir, The Voice of Silence, the story of the Jewish underground in the USSR published in Boston by Academic Studies Press, 2021. Ephraim, I'm absolutely grateful to be in communication with you today. Thank you, Ari, for having me. Uh, I will tell you a story that is hardly known to the American, Mm -hmm. uh, say, English-speaking audience. I think it deserves your attention. The story brings us back uh, to the Soviet Union uh, of the 1960s, when the Jewish population of the USSR numbered approximately 2 millions. Additional uh, 2 millions, uh, similar to the Jewish population of the entire state of Israel. Mm -hmm. Like Israeli Jews, uh, we were uh, in sort of a big uh, camp without the possibility to express uh, our uh, Jewish interests to learn, to to mingle, anything. And this story is somehow described by a famous personality, Eli Wiesel. He visited the USSR in mid-60s to learn about the plight of the Soviet Jewry. And subsequently, he published a book uh, under the telling title, uh, The Jews of Silence. Mm. Uh, Two versions, we we used to think that uh, the silence... uh, applies to us, the Soviet Jews, because we had no voice. But interesting, interestingly, that uh, I found his uh, uh, son had another opinion, that he meant the American Jewry, their lack of voice, their lack of support for the Soviet Jewry. I uh, sincerely think that uh, both interpretations uh, are valid and will uh, keep ours. So uh, this is uh, the story. The Soviet Union was uh, a country where no immigration was allowed, and uh, there were no uh, Jewish framework whatsoever at that time. So uh, the the feeling uh, was a uh, feeling of a gloom. So there is no future for the Soviet Jewry. It will be total uh, assimilation. Interesting that in the 1960s there was quite a few people of different spirit. There was somehow a renewed interest, for instance, uh, the Jewish singers uh, singing uh, Jewish songs in uh, Yiddish, which none of us understood, uh, somehow became much, much more popular uh, than the years before, with something almost tangible uh, in the air. But still, 
I was uh, raised in the center of Moscow and heard about Jews, only negative things. For, for us, it was uh, the world majority of Soviet Jews. I think it was like a stigma, a chronic disease. You cannot get rid of it. But mainly, mainly as, a, as a negative. And uh, what we hear about uh, the renaissance of the Jewish uh, self-awareness of self-interest in the USSR in late 60s, well, almost all due to, to the uh, fantastic victory of Israel in the Six-Day War of 1967. There were very few exceptions, and I am one of these exceptions. So a word or two about, about myself. I was uh, born in Moscow, and uh, when I was a teenager, uh, I was lucky enough uh, to get admitted to the very prestigious uh, high school uh, for gifted uh, students. Not that I was so gifted, but it was uh, the destiny, I don't know, blessing. And uh, at the age of 15, 16, uh, we, the, the small Jewish company there, asked the ex et eternal questions. I didn't know what uh, the questions, uh, say, American or Canadian uh, young Jews ask themselves today. But we asked the eternal question. What's the meaning of my life? Did I happen to, to be, uh, be born just... Uh, like any creature, or rather there is some sense, meaning in my life, and I have to, to in regards to, uh, to our Jewish experience, uh, why are we so hated? No, at that time, like today, and uh, millionaire before, anything wrong with us? Or were uh, somehow uh, ugly duckling? Or uh, another question, if we have been persecuted for so long, how happened that uh, we have survived despite all the hardship, all the persecutions, pogroms, uh, Holocaust, but uh, still, maybe there is some, uh, let's say, divine force that uh, protects us or gives us a direction and uh, what would happen with me, I ask myself, uh, would my entire life uh, devote, devote uh, will be devoted to, to strengthening the, the USSR, this country that basically hates us, that regards Jews as sort of a, a resource, natural resource like uh, natural gas, coal, oil to be extracted and used for the strengthening of the economy of the country. Do I want it? Uh, actually, theoretically, I have quite a family in the United States. Maybe I should uh, go there. Uh, no, I don't think uh, this is my country. I don't think uh, Uncle Sam needs me. I want to go to the place when the meaning is maximized. It is there, there. Israel, and I share my thoughts with my friends, classmates. It looks so funny, a little bit ridiculed me. First of all, why Israel? Go to America, easier. It's easier to, to live in the big country. 
no army, no additional language, and everything. And besides, uh, how come uh, it's possible to talk about immigration? There are heavy gates of the USSR that are closed, tightly closed. There's no migration whatsoever. And I tell myself, but if, you know, we go beyond the logic, if a miracle happens and these gates open to give me the window of opportunity, I need to be fully prepared to utilize it. In the fullest sense of the word, by that time, I need to to acquire a profession, to learn English, I didn't know, to maybe, maybe to marry. And that's uh, the long story. It's long-term planning. I am ready to start. And I started along my narrow, small path, which would meet the bigger parts of the Jewish history. And uh, the Six-Day War, oh, you should have been there. The same people that uh, felt, uh, you know, that chronic disease uh, just <laughs> just out of blue, uh, you see a gleam in their eyes. This tiny state you don't see on the map in six short days made a history, unprecedented victory. We came back to our historic lands. Incredible. Well, it's great to be Jewish. We share something. I'm proud to. And there was a burst in the uh, self-awareness in Jewish Renaissance. But in terms of general uh, position and status of the Jews, nothing happened. There is no uh, massive immigration. The heavy gates are still tightly closed. And there is a... Trickle, maybe a small uh, number of uh, Jews allowed to leave the country in the framework of unification of the families. Now, the Bing Bang 1970s, the Operation Wedding, a small group of daring Jews tried to somehow hijack, let's say, a small plane and to leave the USSR as a sign of a protest against uh, lack of opportunity to leave the country legally. They are caught by the dreadful KGB, Soviet secret police. Two of them uh, are facing capital punishments. Others prolonged terms behind the bars. What could that mean? Would that mean the Stalin type renewed persecution, per persecution of all the Jewish population? But no, this time it's quite different. It ignited enormous solidarity campaign across the globe. And the next miracle happened. That miracle I saw in my eyes, how it happened, I still hardly understand it even today. The Soviet Union, the giant country that uh, was fearful of uh, nobody, the biggest country in terms of area, having enormous amounts of uh, natural uh, resources, uh, producing everything from... Uh, small items till ballistic uh, missiles and nuclear reactors, brainwashed population. What made them yield to the international pressure? And they did. They abolished uh, the harsh uh, verdicts. Still, they were harsh. 
But the next year, 1971, the gates are opened. And already more than 10,000 Jews leave the USSR making Leah. Uh, this is historic step, a historic step. Uh, what about me? I continue along my past several years uh, elapsed. We're already, say, 1976, maybe 77. I'm already a computer engineer working in one of the state enterprises in Moscow. I will learn English sufficiently. And basically, my preparations have uh, come to an end. I did what I meant. What's next? I'm stuck. I don't know what, what practical step could be undertaken. And uh, my mood is all gloom. The only thing that helps me to breathe is uh, the broadcasts of international uh, broadcasting companies, which could be heard in Moscow. They broadcast in uh, Russian and in English. Russian is primarily mostly jammed, but English is never jammed. And for hours and hours, I listen. What a wonderful world behind this iron curtain. One day, I happened, I happened uh, to listen to the Israeli broadcast, Voice of Israel, in English, telling an interesting story. Israelis uh, are saying that uh, things has changed in uh, these, uh, at least in Moscow and Leningrad, two main cities, metropolises. Uh, there are already groups of uh, young Jews that uh, mingle together, meet up uh, for Jewish holidays. Uh, there are classes of uh, history. Uh, there are learning of uh, Jewish tradition and religion. And the most uh, bizarre part, they say there are classes, quite a few of them, of teaching Hebrew. Wow. How come? How? I couldn't believe my ears. How <laughs> How Hebrew made the leap forward from Israel to Moscow? But who am I to, to doubt if Israelis claim that it's real uh, modern Hebrew? And I felt immense drive to go and find these circles. Easier said than done. Hebrew is the only language that was banned in the USSR from the very beginning. You could find uh, free frameworks, uh, available frameworks uh, for learning uh, any language. You can learn English, other European languages, Chinese, or Arabic, uh, Turkish, uh, I don't know, Persian, whatever you want. No one would uh, create you problems, no trouble, not Hebrew. Why not Hebrew? Well, because uh, they want to prevent uh, the spiritual uh, renaissance of the two million strong Jewish population. Hebrew is the gate to the Jewish civilization. It's the thing that brings us close to Israel, modern life, Jewish tradition, Jewish history, everything. So, that's their decision. It, it took me several months to find a Hebrew teacher in Moscow. People from the West, uh, when I tell them the story, 
routinely ask me why I don't go to the synagogue. No, my dear, I don't go to the synagogue because uh, yeah. synagogue is under a surveillance uh, of the Jewish department of the KGB. It's exactly the first place they want to catch us. If you want to, to get into trouble right at the very beginning, you go to synagogue and look for the Hebrew teacher there. I don't want to disclose, disclose my plans too early. So I found... It took me half a year almost to, to find a Hebrew teacher. Funny enough, it was my uh, schoolmate learning at the same school. I didn't know he became a popular Hebrew teacher and a famous refusenik, meaning a person refused by the authorities to get the exit uh, visa, the permit to leave the country. And I started to learn. It was an experience. Before that, I learned uh, English. It was difficult took a lot of time. Well, the second language is different always, but this time it was uh, quite a peculiar experience. We learned only once a week with enormous amount of uh, homework and visit a lot of time. But sometimes, listen carefully, when uh, I heard the new words the teacher gave us, I felt a bizarre feeling that I heard this voice somehow, sometime in the past, in the previous generation, previous reincarnation. I didn't know what, but I only needed to refresh. Not always, seldom, but it did happen. I moved forward fast. In a year's time, I already spoke fluently. At, at that time, uh, I uh, approached my teacher with unusual... Uh, a request. I collected some time for some money for a charity, Zdakai, as we call it, and asked him uh, to deliver it to the most needy family because there are thousands of uh, refuseniks. Uh, it's difficult to sustain a family working at uh, odd jobs, as it's typical for the refuseniks. Uh, uh, my teacher, Lova, was his name. Asked me, how much did you collect? I told him, well, I still worked as an engineer at half month's salary. Um, a reasonable sum. Well, he said, definitely it's a reasonable sum. But uh, speaking frankly, it will not resolve the problem uh, of a family or of an individual. There are other ways to help them. I have another suggestion for you. Use this money and send yourself as a... Hebrew teacher to any other city besides Moscow and Leningrad. Because there is a demand, but there is no supply. There is spiritual void in all the country besides Moscow and Leningrad. This idea impressed me. I didn't think about myself as already sufficiently prepared to teach the others, but it was the time that uh, this understanding of the dimension of the prayer problem nested deeply in my heart. I heard about it before a number of times, but it never occurred to me that uh, I might be the person who will take it as a mission. And from, from this point in my life, I, I had a strange feeling that uh, it's up to me to do something. It's sort of a personal calling and it was dangerous. So difficult to, to explain why it's possible uh, to 
learn and even to teach uh, Hebrew in Moscow, but not in uh, Odessa, Kiev, Minsk, Kishinev, classic names of the Jewish diaspora. <laughs> we don't know. We never been invited to the KGB uh, meetings, and I'm glad so. Our guess is that uh, the Jewish department of the KGB needed some sort of a Jewish activity in Moscow, in Leningrad, under their nose, literally, that it could be watched, surveilled, and maybe uh, interfered in case of need. If there is no operation activity, who needs them? They will go home. But if this fire of the Jewish Renaissance would encompass the entire country, spread through many different places, well, definitely they want to prevent it. So the, the project will be to do exactly what the KGB, this mighty and red organization, lacking no resources whatsoever, want to prevent. That's a part of the story. The second part of the story, uh, we needed to make it uh, secret because otherwise uh, they will, will uh, suppress it uh, at, the, at the first moment they, they, they learn about it. And uh, the overwhelming uh, uh, opinion of the Jewish activists after the, these uh, thwarted attempt to, to uh, hijack the, the play in the operation wedding was there is no sense and no justification to do anything whatsoever secret because there is no chance to keep it in a secret uh, for a long time. They will discover it. And once the KGB discovers that, that, the punishment will be even more severe. So I have to go against the, the popular opinion. This I will do. But there is still the, the, the second, uh, the third, maybe the fourth problem. We can create uh, the secret clandestine operation uh, in Moscow. But it, it addresses the rank-and-file Jews. Not only Western people, thankfully, cannot understand why teaching language or tradition or culture could be dangerous. Soviet citizens cannot understand it as well, because it's absolutely illogical for, for any normal person. So will they keep uh, the, their uh, mouth shut? Hardly. And uh, the last uh, problem, uh, we don't have uh, the rigid organization in Moscow, for instance. We speak about uh, Hebrew as primarily a relationship of colleagues. There's no one who gives orders to the others. But uh, mostly such a project would need uh, a structure. So it appears to be a uh, organization. Each of the Soviet citizens is fearful of saying uh, anti-Soviet organization because the, the Stalin times, it was uh, the, the worst thing one could imagine. And everything could be dubbed anti-Soviet, even if you're uh, teaching Hebrew. I had to accommodate all these things together. And I hesitated uh, three months. You know, I stopped sleeping at nights. My feeling is that it's up to me to do something. And I decided uh, we'll jump into it, not because we've had uh, good chances uh, 
to succeed. No, just the opposite. The chances were bleak. There are sometimes there are things you you are called to do because it's it's a moral imperative, because they have to be done for whatever price, because somebody needs to do them. And uh, there's no place for cold calculations or percentage of a success. The last question, if shall I do it with uh, Israelis or Americans? It's so much easier to get the funding uh, from rich American uh, communities, but I need somebody that is capable to keep the mouth shut. I, uh, I'm skeptical uh, that this would uh, work with American uh, uh, settings, in the American settings. So I choose to go to uh, what's called uh, Liaison Bureau. It was the organization of uh, some official Israeli organization uh, that helped us. They nominated uh, my good friend, uh, late Yuli Kosherovsky, to be the representative. And uh, I suggested share this idea with uh, Yuli Kosherovsky. He was uh, very much for it. He agreed that uh, we should create a dedicated team that would do it, uh, let's say, professionally. We didn't know what that meant, at least uh, to to involve a lot of efforts on my part. And he suggested to bring two more people, uh, my elder brother, Mikhail, and our younger mutual friend, Yuli Edelstein, who's now a famous politician. That was the team. That was a relatively mild time uh, described by the nice French word detente, meaning uh, that uh, it was the time of uh, the negotiation between superpowers, of limitation of the arms race and the outer space, so strategic arms limitation treaty. And uh, the KGB somehow lessened uh, their pressure. We have to understand that even in Moscow, teaching and even more so learning uh, Hebrew is not a simple thing to lead a person to a considerable trouble. But no comparison to what uh, we faced in the province. In our calculations, we didn't know one parameter. In two weeks' time, yes, it was. Uh, I, I started uh, the talks with Kosherovsky. It was uh, the time of Jewish uh, Hanukkah holiday, 1979. And in two weeks' time, the, the Soviet forces invaded Afghanistan, bringing uh, the mild detente uh, to abrupt end. In this case, uh, it's clear who pays the price with the Jewish activists. Could we abandon the project? No. We simply understood that uh, the chances to succeed uh, are uh, even more diminished. So we postponed it for a couple of months couple of months, we convened uh, our uh, initiative group, we found a department which not bugged, which was not bugged, took the big map of the USSR and selected the uh, regions, the areas we, we think we could operate there. Was First was decided that it was not a formal leader. I became a project leader in a year time, in a year time. But from the very beginning, since it was my initiative and I decided to invest most of the, my, my time 
in the project, uh, I got the biggest chunk of the territory and uh, the operation. So what was this project? Uh, let us imagine that somebody tells you, go and uh, make a workshop uh, somewhere in Arizona. What would you say? You please bring the people, definitely. And I will uh, deliver the, the workshop. No, you go and find the people. So well, that was our project. So we need to find the people. <laughs> we need to find the right connections. But uh, I started to, to plan the project. First, I need the, what we call the traveling teacher. It was much more than a teacher. It should be a charismatic figure, not known to the KGB, capable and willing to travel extensively, willing to eat or not eat according to the circumstances, to sleep on the bench if necessary, knowledgeable in uh, Hebrew and Hebrew education, in Jewish tradition, everything related to, to, to Israel, and you will tell me there are no such animals. But I found two of them. One of my uh, neighbor here, the second is in Jerusalem. The second part, we needed to produce uh, the educational material, materials. They are produced unofficially in Moscow and supposed to be uh, secret. And I doubt that uh, the degree of their secrecy. And we tried to, to recreate the, the entire production uh, independently. Now, uh, communication. No, that's a typical feature of the underground project. No communication whatsoever. We don't send letters. We don't uh, speak over the phone. The phone is tapped. I don't speak aloud, even in my apartment. You have to, to understand that uh, every piece of information disclosed to KGB increases the chances uh, of the trouble, endangers the entire project. To say nothing of myself. And you cannot uh, call the KGB, please delete this uh, a file. No, it's one-way ticket. It's a one-way ticket. Just imagine that the KGB agent uh, officer is dwelling in your apartment constantly, daily, weekly, and uh, constantly. We need uh, somehow to, to store the information. Uh, the personal computer is a rarity in the USSR those years. And uh, no use because at every moment uh, they can come with a house search and take the entire, and take the entire uh, information. So uh, let's imagine a situation where we need to arrange a summer camp. Someone physically has to come to every single place according to the level of the knowledge of the students, not uh, the geographical proximity. That's a couple of words about the project. Now you ask uh, where's the KGB? We discussed uh, their capabilities. The KGB entered the picture even before the project. There was a surprise visit at my 30th birthday, sort of uh, part of their psychological uh, warfare against us. There was a long interrogation, several hours with threats even before they, they, we actually started the project, or at least they knew they started the project. And they mentioned for the first time the idea of the show trial. Show trial, the term from uh, the time of Stalin, 
which meant uh, that uh, the accused person is brought uh, to the uh, court, got a very harsh uh, verdict, like capital punishment, uh, gets the coverage, the media coverage, and those time of uh, newspapers in our time uh, television and it's the excellent way of the KGB authorities to intimidate the public at large. In my lifetime uh, we didn't think uh, about uh, the capital punishment but to find yourself behind the bars for many many years was quite a possibility. But interestingly that uh, during uh, those four years of my tenure I uh, was interrogated uh, rarely. Most of the threats uh, were uh, uh, delivered uh, through other people. It's uh, another story. I will not uh, waste time for that. But uh, interesting, despite all that, the project continued. When I published my Hebrew version uh, of my book, Julia Destein came uh, to help me to launched the the project, and he asked the audience, uh, how do you think uh, long could uh, the activity that the KGB wants uh, to stop continue? No one knew, definitely, and he said seconds. And our project lasted for years. Wow. Maybe it's because uh, we adhere to the strict norms of uh, secrecy. Maybe something else. But uh, the pressure on me became um, greater and greater, and uh, it was uh, a winter of uh, 83, 84, when the KGB more and more mentioned and interrogation of others my name, saying that uh, I will be number one in the line of futurists. There will be a show trial again. They said it's uh, already seven years after the arrest of uh, Sharansky, say a year and a half after the third arrest of Yosef Bigun, and I'm number one uh, in turn. It became uh, evident uh, that uh, the danger is uh, clear, evident, and uh, by that time I uh, prepared to my former students and friends and colleagues who helped with the project, helped to to run the project and uh, accumulated a big experience in the project. Their names are Dov Kontorer and Zev Geisel. Virtually unknown first names and they did a lot. I invited them, it was uh, already spring, it was a Passover and authorized them to split my job between the two of them in case something happens to me. And indeed, I was arrested in, in July 1984. And there starts another story of the arrest and imprisonment. I was arrested uh, near uh, the Baltic Sea when I was in Estonia. Now it's an independent, uh, small independent uh, state, Estonia with Tallinn as its capital. Uh, I uh, was there with my students in the framework of a small summer camp. I was arrested and taken uh, to the prison in Tallinn. My initial charge was uh, not serious enough. It uh, was hooliganism up 
till one year of imprisonment, was clear that it's not uh, what they need for a show trial. And uh, for the first month, I was kept in a small cell with two other mates, so pigeon, pigeons, naturally. And they were all the time interrogated, and I was mostly spared. But one day, the heavy doors uh, of our cell opened. The lady guard uh, stays there, stayed there with a note in her hands. And I look at my uh, neighbors who will be called this time. And, and she stared at me, Kormiansky, she said, that's me, to the interrogator. But my interrogator is not in Tallinn, I told her. I don't know anything. It's written clearly, interrogator. And I understood that some of my apprehensions definitely are getting true, are implemented. And we go down to the basement of interrogations. Their uh, peculiar person is awaiting me, middle-aged person with a good outfit, with this gaze penetrating cold. Uh, I have to tell you something he said to me during interrogation. There was a house search in your apartment, apartment in Moscow, and the search found a handgun, cartridges, and anti-Soviet literature. We need to ask uh, questions. Why did you kept the weapon under the bookshelf in your apartment? Who gave them these items? What was the, the, pur the purpose of their storage? And you, you know, I, so uh, much expected, still it comes at a shock. The first impression that it's not uh, taking place in reality. It's like it's a movie, you're watching a movie. Weapon. And gradually, the gloom reality starts to penetrate. No, I uh, never kept a weapon. It's a fabricated case, fabricated case. I write uh, my reply. No impression on him. I'm uh, taken back to the cell. All that night, I cannot sleep. What could be done if they planted weapon, it's up to the show trial. So they want uh, to destroy everything, to destroy the project that I created, uh, I invested so much during these uh, four unforgettable years, to intimidate my, my dear friends, my colleagues. I was well known across the whole uh, Jewish national movement. So they want uh, to impact everything. Is there anything? I could possibly think of a counter-reaction. I cannot sit still awaiting uh, these beasts uh, to devour me and uh, the entire thing. I have to do something. There is only one thing the prisoner could try to do. It's a hunger strike. Not because uh, you have a good chance, again, like uh, uh, the project. Not because we have a good chance uh, to succeed. No, no, no. But you need to do something, to be active, to catch the initiative. Not 
to be the passive victim, I cannot be passive victim. It's simply stronger than, than me. And I declare an open-end hunger strike. The first uh, day, no reaction. They tried to ignore me. But the next morning, uh, I'm taken to the deputy warden of the prison, Major Kolk. Well, said Major Kolk, you do not understand the political realities in the country. You wrongly read the political map. He meant that uh, the KGB head, Mr. Andropov, was nominated as the head of the ruling Communist Party. Survived only you know, 10, 10 months and passed away, but still managed uh, to impact something. That's what he meant. And uh, an example for you, said Major Kolk. Uh, we are now in July. Uh, April the 1st, a new ordinance was issued uh, determining that uh, every case of a hunger strike without justifiable reasons is regarded as a severe uh, a of the internal internal of internal uh, discipline uh, it's like uh, taking a war it's, it's like taking a prison guard what do you think happens to a prisoner who takes a prison guard correct Punishment cell for how long? Up till 15 days. But unlike him, you will be kept, kept there indefinitely and get out only if you stop or die. You have uh, time till tomorrow morning to come down and go to uh, and use your reasoning again. So the next morning, I'm uh, the punishment cell in notorious place. The previous degree before the outright uh, torture or firing squad. A small place, two and a half meters by two meters. A small toilet in the corner and something what we call cot. Supposed to be a bed. It's basically the uh, metal frame with planks inside. No signs of bedding. And all that is locked onto the wall. And the prisoner in the punishment cell is not allowed to use it during the daytime. Only from 11 at night till 5 in the morning. There are metal supports of uh, the cot. A strange thing that I never saw in any other place. It's... Some, something like a small stool, uh, metal stool uh, with uh, sharp edges, uh, 12 centimeters, centimeters by 12. A grown-up person cannot uh, sit on it. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing to sit on. And the floor, the cement floor is cold. Never lie down on the cement floor, told me the... Hardened criminals. For never forget it, and I never did it. Well, the conditions are real hard, harsh. So I understand that they expect me to break uh, in the course of uh, the first days. Those first wow. days are critical. I tell myself, and indeed, again, Mr. Kolk uh, tells me 
We will not uh, regard uh, your decision as a open-ended uh, hunger strike. There is nothing uh, in the life in life uh, that is open-ended. We will give you your foods, your meals uh, regularly, and not uh, the low-grade food, the punishment cell, but the better food <laughs> of the regular cell as if you have not committed anything. Have I committed anything? <laughs> Thank you for sharing. And uh, they put it on uh, the floor. Well, it is temptation. Even that food for a person who is not eating is a temptation. And they will definitely will check if I touch it or not. They continue day after day, day after day, gradually, little by little, we arrived at uh, the day 15th. The same day when they normally will discharge uh, a person from the punishment cell. And I instead uh, is brought uh, to the doctor's office. Instead of a doctor, there is a officer reading something in a formal tone of voice from the document. According to the law, starting from the day 15th of the hunger strike, we start force feeding. Look here, he said, this is nurse. She will do the force feeding. Look uh, at these uh, tools and instruments laid out uh, over there. I cannot recognize anything but the handcuffs. Well, I'll explain, he said, this is a special tool to force open the jaws. This is to put down the tongue. This is will be inserted in your throat in order the feeding, thick feeding tube will go through the throat all the way to the stomach, will prevent vomiting. Oh my goodness. Want it? It's painful. Do you want the suffering? It's your decision. No, I uh, told him. The hunger strike is an act of protest against fabricated case. It's no smaller story. It's a big business. I will not struggle physically uh, during uh, the force fitting. Handcuffs or no handcuffs makes no difference. And they made it the first time, and it was very painful. I'm brought back to my cell thinking what, what time is still in my disposal. Because it's clear that uh, it's going to uh, to finish me in the course of the coming uh, days or weeks. The next day, another uh, a nurse uh, came uh, to force feed me. Totally different story. An elderly, I would say, ugly lady with a good heart and uh, enormous experience. Oh, she said, again, hunger strike? You don't... Uh, I don't know how many of such cases I saw. Never, ever it helped. Stop it. I will give you several days to think it over. But in the meantime, I will teach you something. I will teach you a special pose that people don't know that will diminish the suffering and the pain. It was a real incredible story. She taught me something that many, many times diminished the pain. I returned to my cell, totally bewildered. Maybe there is a chance. And they started in the days 
drag little by little. Uh, in certain stage, uh, I feel that I cannot continue. And each time when I felt cannot continue, something happened that gave me the impetus, the strength to continue. Wow. A small example. Again, the deputy warden, Major Kolk. The conditions uh, in the uh, punishment cell under the hunger strike are harsh, he tells me. He explains me. Thank you very much, sir. It definitely affects your capability of reasoning. We will make a gesture of uh, goodwill towards you. We will give you uh, the, the opportunity to, to use the cot. Incidentally, quite unexpectedly, the prison guards helped me and put down the cots many times. Most of the times it was locked, but uh, <laughs> when they could, they helped. It was uh, the hunger strike, as, as, as we understand, uh, opened many hearts. Thank you for we sharing. To the, the bedding in a hope that you will come to your senses. I couldn't believe it. They bring him back to the punishment cell. The guard uh, comes, puts down the cot, brings uh, the bedding, everything uh, besides the pillow. I never used the pillow since, even today. Any moment I'm inside, getting the warmth. Oh, it's cold there. A bizarre thought pierced me. If I survive and uh, ask to tell the audience about this experience. And someone asks me <laughs> a question. If that could be a feeling of a paradise inside <laughs> the punishment cell during hunger strike, I will tell him, yes, definitely. This is the moment. Why did they do that? Not because of... Uh, uh, the feeling of uh, affinity, uh, the uh, solidarity, whatever. Definitely not. Normal prisoner never sees a deputy or the, or the prison warden. They couldn't care less. That means that there is international pressure. That means. As a religious person, I believe there are things involved. Uh, sometimes I feel that I'm already exhausted. I cannot continue. I... Recall internal dialogues. Uh, I'm talking to myself. I cannot, cannot continue. I did my utmost. Simply cannot continue. And I'm replying to myself. That's correct. You did a great job. But you know, every additional hour, it's like a blow to the enemy. Would you please keep going for another hour? And then for another hour? Well, where is our interrogator? He comes from time to time with the same set uh, of uh, charges and gets the same set of replies, protests against fabricated. It disappears for a certain period of time it emerges uh, late in uh, oh, November. I started the hunger strike on 13th of September, so it's uh, two and a half months of a hunger strike. Wow. 
he, at first glance, he looks the same, the same coated and uh, ear, but I seem to feel subtle changes in his tone of voice. He said uh, two important messages for you. First, a ballistic test was performed on the handgun and cartridges. They were in the working order. Thank you, sir. I didn't think differently. The handgun was in use, he said, that it was impossible to determine under which circumstances. I understand what you mean to, to say. I translate to myself. You, you mean to say that somebody fired and killed and murdered and you want to indict me? But no, something I feel wouldn't bring me to that direction. The second test, he said, was an attempt to determine if there are fingerprints of the sufficient quality to identify the person for the legal purposes. No sufficient quality fingerprints was, was found. What? Say it again, please. You didn't find, meaning you didn't forge my fingerprints? Well, I failed to understand. So you cannot implement your initial plan? So there are new forces entered the, the arena of the struggle? And that means a turning point. That means mm. Starting to win. Well, it's not the organization that will uh, simply give uh, in. They will try to devise additional ways, maybe false testimony or something. But uh, still, they want to do something and cannot do what they want to do. It's incredible. Wow. It's incredible. I wouldn't believe that could happen. It was still a long way uh, before the trial. The trial uh, was uh, on the 31st of January, another two months of hunger strike. And the 1st of February, I already could hardly walk on my own. The guards helped me. Uh. And I was brought uh, to the trial. It was no show trial, nothing whatsoever. Just the opposite. It was a small Estonian town, totally disconnected from the telephone communication of the entire world. And instead of five years of imprisonment and seven years of exile, as they threatened, I got a record short term of a, a year and a half. That wow. was a jubilous spirit among all the Jewish activists. Ah. I will tell you maybe a couple of uh, episodes about the labor camp. I was uh, very, uh, the hunger strike was very long. I uh, was very weak and sick several times. I was in what's called infirmary. Uh, but finally, I was brought uh, to the camp. And certain stage, uh, I already was capable to walk on my own. Still difficulties, but managed. And we are on the way to our barracks, to our barrack. 
It's basically a building with uh, 180 inmates, criminals. Oh, oh my. Sharing the same place uh, at night. Uh, bunk beds, uh, very few free space. And I knew that I have to take, to catch the initiative, to devise something to establish my status from the very beginning, because the first meeting is of crucial importance. And it was a great idea. Uh, the guard uh, uh, brought me in and declared uh, a novice, a newcomer. Some people were uh, already in other part, in other place, but still 140 pairs of uh, eyes stared at me. With a loud voice, I declared, I am a Jew, a religious one, one to pray, what is the direction to Jerusalem? And you don't believe me. They were struck. It runs contrary to everything. Being Jewish is something that people are afraid to, to disclose, at least according to the uh, and quite anti-Semitic uh, popular belief. And this one declares uh, in loud voice, religious Jerusalem. <laughs> this place, insane question. It came close to me, still unable uh, to devour the information, showing all kinds of directions. It's south, at least. Where is the south? I need the southwest uh, by Wow. They determined where the south is. And that was uh, the first the first encounter with the public there. Wow. Uh, Thank you for sharing. Uh, maybe another uh, another episode, uh, a simple one, much simpler one, the evening roll. Evening roll uh, means that uh, every 180 has come uh, down to the yard. The sergeant comes and calls uh, everybody in the alphabetic order according to his surname. Once a prisoner hears his name, uh, what he needs to say to add his personal name and the date when uh, his term is over. Simple thing. Everybody is quite confident. The only one person in the entire prison, in the entire camp, that feels each time a problem. I'm always the date of my release because I didn't know if I'm released. Wow. Because they didn't get the prison term they wanted, at least five years, meaning that uh, I, as if owe them three and a half years. And maybe the last episode, my very last day in the camp, I still don't know. It happened to be Sunday, so I'm released on Saturday. I don't have uh, the prayer book, naturally. I pray deep from heart, whatever I could. It's one of the favorite subjects of uh, the prisoners on the camp to discuss the release. Uh, one of uh, the things they, they like, and unlike other things that the prison administration, camp administration does, when it comes to relief, uh, they do it sharp at the necessary time. So on Saturday, it has to be at nine. It's nine. And by that time, I just finished uh, my morning prayer. Expect to hear the call from the headquarter, but the call doesn't come. Nine and a quarter, nine and a half. The guard on duty comes. Are you still here? He asked me. Yeah. 
Well, maybe uh, you're a nice guy. They decided to keep you for another term. What sort of a humor is it? Then I understood that in another term, another provocation, they planted another weapon or whatever. Maybe don't need it. Nine and ten and a half. I'm already unable to sit there. Eleven. I jumped from uh, my bunk bed and go directly, contrary to all the instructions. Uh, the prisons, the, the the prisoners are not allowed uh, to go alone in the territory of the camp. But uh, I couldn't care less. Go directly to the office. Wow. Do you Thank know you keeping a person, a free person behind the bar? I'm telling the clerk there. She jumps, calling the officer. The officer comes in, opens the safe. Well, we will release you right now, he says. Open the safe and is struck with amazement. Where is your file? He asked me. Do I know? Somebody took your file, he said. I cannot release you and the, the others as well. Maybe he left a note. I asked him, no, there is no note. And he closed the safe. There is a sofa there. The prisoners never sat uh, on the sofa. And I get seated on the sofa. I'm a free person, I'm telling myself. Whatever, the ha whatever happens, at least in spirit, I am a free person. 11 and a half, 12, still nothing. It's clear that they are trying to decide to make up their minds at the very last moments. Absolutely clear. There is a feeling of utter suspense. Close to 11, a senior officer burst running into the room. He's keeping something in his hands. I don't need to look at him. I know it is my file. This is the way it finished. We... My, my parents came to, to meet me. We left uh, the camp building. It was a very cold day. The sun is shining. No words. No, no, no words left us. Only the crunch of the snow under our boots. I stop and look back. We have one. Wow. Thank you. Can you tell us about your parents, Grigory and Rosa? What are your memories of them? What can you share about their own lived experiences? Uh, you know, uh, mainly only one uh, thing. We were uh, the closely knit Jewish family. Uh, I was born already in Moscow. They definitely not. Uh, most of our uh, inner circle were Jewish, but no Jewish tradition whatsoever. There was some feeling, uh, what's so called, uh, words of a feather locked together. Uh, one episode, my mother has a, a colleague at her research center. He was a researcher. She was a researcher, uh, also a Jewish lady, uh, which thought that uh, the resolution of the Jewish uh, problem was an assimilation. In one of their uh, talks, uh, this lady told my mother, it's, it's, it's a pity that uh, the state of Israel has been created because uh, it uh, encourages anti-Semitism in the USSR. And we suffer. Mm. My mother told her, first, there is no need for anti-Semites 
to look for excuses. It's always an excuse. So there is no connection. But if it were a connection, we would be willing to pay such a price. And you should understand that for us, Israel was like, like another like another planet. We never thought uh, in my uh, say youth or childhood that we could uh, one day see this country. So it was a pure mm-hmm. example. Uh, another thing about my parents, uh, already not uh, in the during those childhood years, uh, they most cases when the parents uh, of um, many of the activists uh, knew about the activity, they were afraid mm. of it and uh, seldomly, uh, seldom uh, participated. And my parents knew about uh, what I'm doing and uh, my mother actively participated in the project. One has to understand, uh, for instance, uh, there is nowhere to send to some place. So I I send myself. I take a backpack, densely packed with uh, educational literature and things, and go myself. They never know where and where. How do I uh, plan to to come back? What are the chances? Uh, no telephones, nothing. Just disappear in the hope you will appear again. So they deserve much praise uh, for their contribution. And they were excellent parents uh, trying to to not to impose their uh, way of seeing things on us, on me and my brother. When you were growing up, who were your primary Jewish role models? No, I don't think there were role models. When I was growing up, certain stage, I thought it it uh, it is not that negative. It's not that uh, so stigmatic to be Jewish. Uh, we are uh, uh, particular. We are ugly duckling. We are uh, we brought uh, a lot of things to the to the mankind. Uh, great. Uh, a scientist, researchers, uh, people of fine arts, or whatever. I want to be a part of it. It's, uh, but I don't think there were any person who was a role, uh, a role model. The only a story maybe of relevance is that uh, I started to, to tell you about uh, my admission to the uh, high school at, at the age of fifteen. When I discovered half of our uh, classmates are Jewish, we never experienced to be in such a company. Never, it was like uh, you know, like intoxication, like a wine. Just, just uh, all of a sudden, you see people who look like you, feel like you. You may disagree, we agree, but 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 it's something in common. It was very unusual and very, uh, I don't know, formative or not but important experience. What about as an adult? Did you have any Jewish role models as an adult, as you matured as a person? Um, I have uh, to 
to tell you, I don't know, never had any role model. Mm, yeah, I don't think. Uh, I don't think uh, it always the case. Some people do have, some people do not. I I felt some push from from behind or some drive to go along. My feeling was that I have some some mission somehow determined for myself a mission, I have to find out, to look for it, to find out, and to implement. It's important. It's, it's my, my role. I don't want to fail. It's important, more important than the formal uh, formal degree or, I don't know, title or whatever. Strange, maybe, but that's the case. Thank you. What were your first days like after you were released from imprisonment in February 1986. Uh, what was your family reunion like? What were your first weeks like? How hard was it to adjust? Did you struggle with anxiety or depression? Was it a smoother adjustment? Fine. First, uh, when I was in camp, I was full of energy. Being as a spring, you know, stress spring, being uh, always ready, to tears, to, to react to the, the new turn of events. After my release, I felt I have no energy whatsoever. I cannot see anybody. Like everything pierces my, my uh, thin skin. Mm -hmm. And uh, my friends uh, wanted to come uh, to arrange big meetings. Uh, I tried to, to delay it as long as I possible. I needed to, to regain strength. It took a while. They, they couldn't, couldn't wait. They started to come. I understood, that I understood there is uh, no way. Uh, and we arranged the, the meeting and uh, it was very late at night maybe. To, to it in the morning when we stopped uh, I felt uh, the some the stream of words uh, bring me some uh, some relief maybe so it was uh, a strange a strange uh, turn of events it took me months to 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 get uh, going in you and I got married uh, Several uh, months after that, so it, uh, it became a new lease of life. And by uh, by the fall of 1986, I started, I resumed my activity. It was a different type of activity. It was the opposite type of activity. It's all open, totally open uh, participation in the demonstration, uh, writing a letter of protest. Uh, arranging a visit to Babi Yar, which was uh, yeah, very dangerous at that time, uh, staging the big rally, the first big rally. It was already a relatively, relatively mild period of Gorbachev, so we could, uh, could uh, afford ourselves uh, much more than previously. But still, Still, there was a lot to do and was still problematic. And even at that time, there were new arrests. What are your memories of Natan Sharansky, Anatoly Sharansky? 
what was your recollection of him? What was your relationship with him? How was he simple. presented in your book? Very simple. I never met him in Russia. Okay. My 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 friend, my teacher, who was uh, also my friend and his friend, wanted to make an acquaintance days before Sharansky was arrested uh, in March uh, 1977. Mm -hmm. So uh, if that happened, I would have no chance to create an underground project. I knew perfectly well what uh, he did and uh, the attempts uh, how somehow to to replace to 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 a certain degree his activities uh, after his arrest. But I met him only in Israel during your ordeal. How aware were you of the activism and advocacy efforts? of the free Soviet Jewry movement in the US, Europe, and the West, how much information about these movements was accessible to you within the USSR? Yeah, sure. Uh, we, we got uh, uh, people came, coming uh, from, uh, from the West uh, to visit us, uh, formerly as tourists, but as messengers, uh, sometimes bringing uh, information, sometimes bringing uh, materials about Israel, about religion, about uh, everything. So we were perfectly aware of the struggle. Sometimes uh, political figures uh, came. We, at a certain stage, became quite, uh, I would say, popular, popular famous. Uh, you have to understand that uh, uh, this, this part uh, of the human rights uh, effort was well accepted in the West, especially in the States, because many people in the States uh, saw themselves as the next uh, generation of uh, immigrants. They, everybody is immigrant uh, in a certain degree. Then the, the lack of opportunity of immigration uh, was for them uh, unacceptable, totally unacceptable. At the same time, uh, uh, many much more complicated things uh, in terms in the realm of human rights. Mm -hmm. so this mm -hmm. was accepted something that could be realistically struggled for, for fought for, and that we, we knew about knew about perfectly. And we are very grateful. I never miss opportunity to thank our Western um, brothers, uh, Jews and non-Jews, who helped. Uh, without your help, uh, we would have perished there, for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. You know, behind these thick walls, you can only imagine the, 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 the warmth, the compassion, and the, the, uh, the struggle of uh, our friends. But uh, it's so detached, and still, you know, it exists. Even it's, it's there. Even you don't see it, you don't uh, somehow feel it. Even you are at the hands of the authorities, KGB. We still know that we are not alone. They will forge uh, my fingerprints, for sure. Can you say more about your hunger strike? Do you feel that you achieved what you hoped from the hunger strike? Absolutely. What were the consequences for you? How did your body physically respond to the hunger strike? 
you know, I had some experience in that field, and uh, I thought that I'm at the pinnacle of my physical capabilities at the age of 30, 34, will never uh, would be better. And uh, I thought that uh, that's the only thing I do. And my feeling was that uh, I'm giving blows to our enemies, that I am the part of the global struggle with the a empire of evil that uh, every person in the world understands that uh, without the very grave reasons, person would not do what I'm doing. And uh, we need something to, to ignite people, to let them, uh, let alone uh, their even pressing needs, to do something, to write to letters of protest, to call the Soviet embassy, to 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 I don't know to call their senators, uh, the secretary of state, uh, foreign ministers, uh, prime ministers. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, one of the documents uh, I have uh, is uh, uh, the Hebrew version uh, of uh, the address of uh, British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. To the Soviet authorities regarding my case. It's absolutely clear that somebody worked for that to get her interest and to organize this case. Definitely not uh, what was uh, your main preoccupation. So that's the work of our friends. It's truly important. Absolutely. My hunger strike, you know, I I tried to to describe it. Uh, Sometimes I was, uh, I felt that uh, I'm unable to continue it. Mm-hmm. Each time I, I felt that I'm unable, uh, something happened, uh, or I, so they they are concerned. The the authorities are concerned. They try to convince me, or uh, I managed to convince myself. It, uh, uh, you know, it's like a person climbing uh, the the mountain. Uh, when you look upstairs. It's, uh, it's, it's impossible to imagine that you can get to that height. But little by little, little by little, uh, when you stop and look backwards downstairs, you see what a height. You know, uh, again, as a religious person, I believe that was a divine assistance because uh, it's too much for a normal person uh, to survive under such circumstances. Uh, I uh, I brought uh, the attention of the entire world uh, to our plight, who helped uh, to energize energize uh, many many people across the globe. Uh, it uh, became an important issue, and uh, that uh, you know that uh, a unifying force. Now. Uh, I uh, was later told by someone, I didn't know he was privy to secrets of the KGB, that they were close to my release uh, uh, when I uh, basically stopped the hunger strike. I didn't know that was true. I I stopped it because uh, it already stopped serving my, my purposes. And I was apprehensive that will be another story of planting weapons. Uh, and by that time, I wanted to restore myself to be able to declare again a hunger strike. It's a, you know, uh, 
uh, today I don't think I would survive uh, two hours in such a place uh, without a uh, mouthful of fresh air, without oh. the possibility to move more than two steps in one direction, without possibility to lie down on something or sit on something. They do. They did their job perfectly. Uh, yeah, grand masters of torture. Thank you. Your book describes your experiences in three Central Asian Caucasian countries, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, and Georgia. What are your memories of these countries and these regions? What are your memories of the Jewish communities in these locations? You know, it's very, it was very interesting um, because uh, uh, these uh, communities uh, kept the traditional, uh, at least uh, some to some degree, uh, traditional Jewish uh, uh, way. Uh, the Jews in uh, these places uh, commemorated uh, Saturday service, uh, Shabbat, as we say, Kabbalah Shabbat. It was uh, interesting. Big families, you sit uh, uh, among uh, several uh, <laughs> several uh, siblings, uh, we very have very had very small families uh, in Ashkenazic communities in in Moscow. Uh, two children uh, was considered a big family. The uh, for them uh, there was a big question uh, if it's possible uh, to teach Hebrew independently from uh, other uh, Jewish subjects. For them, it was part of the Torah learning. Uh, and uh, the, the community life uh, made a strong, lasting impression on me. I thought uh, we are in big cities, uh, everyone uh, inside his own apartment, uh, like the community life. And in Israel, I uh, looked for a community life and found a community life. Uh, it's important. Uh, it's it's uh, it gives a person something that uh, <laughs> something additional. Uh, I was a, a sort of a strange. Uh, animal for them, because uh, when I started, they, I was not uh, religious. I came just uh, on a national basis, and mm -hmm. they did not, uh, do not discern between national and traditional. Uh, I know about certain circles that uh, knew and inquired about me, but uh, prefer not to come into contact uh, with me. They were afraid, mm -hmm. uh, were afraid to be uh, in contact with the murder. Moscow, so missionary, <laughs> I don't know how to put it. Uh, very interesting, very interesting. A total different world, total different different world. And uh, uh, the difference between Georgia and uh, Central Asia as well. Uh, but uh, 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 the traditional way of life uh, sometimes makes it more difficult to accommodate when they came to Israel, make Aliyah, and, and see the, the different way of life uh, much more multifaceted. Yeah. What was your relationship like with God during your ordeal while in prison, while in labor camp? 
Did you pray? Did you have a Bible? Absolutely. In what ways no, do you believe no that God helped you? I prayed. I prayed. You know, I was sort of a person that uh, from the early youth had a strange feeling that uh, there is some divine force that uh, addresses me, speaks to me in some way or another. Uh, I didn't know what was that, how to address this force. I uh, recall myself uh, entering one day in my, at the age of 18th, I think already, church. I think maybe that's the place for everybody. And felt that it's not my place. It's so strange. Uh, like uh, a false note, like uh, the the wrong melody, but I was not religious. The this part uh, came uh, to my life uh, in 1980, in the year of 1980, when the Soviet abruptly stopped uh, the massive immigration because uh, following uh, the invasion of the Soviet Union to Afghanistan and the cessation of detente. They want, wanted somehow to, 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 to punish uh, the, the Jewish movement in the Jewish world and the United States to stop the immigration. They tried to convince uh, people across the country that it was uh, the just uh, the hope. Many hopes never come true. But in Moscow and Leningrad, uh, there were many young people that regarded it in a to totally different vein. We thought maybe there is a meaning that we're kept for here for an additional period of time. Maybe we have to learn something here that we could not learn and would not learn there in Israel. What's the meaning of being Jews, the deeper understanding, the profound uh, uh, look at that. And that was a time of uh, big uh, drastic change of the role of the uh, uh, religious groups that were by that time uh, relatively small. And my uh, students went to learn uh, Torah, these groups, and started to ask me questions. I didn't, didn't have answers. I learned, I learned myself, it was not, uh, not the answers. I wanted to learn myself and was uh, quite uh, uh, enchanted by it. Mm. So, uh, back to your question. Yes, it's one of the main preoccupations in the punishment cell. The KGB, uh, the authorities, used to ask me, what do you do during these uh, long hours in the punishment cell? You have no computer, no television, no books, nothing. What do you do? How do you feel your time? It's a, it's a, I, I try to, to raise this, this question in my book, but uh, in two words, uh, I uh, imagined myself uh, in many, many stories, uh, told myself uh, literary works I could recall, and it was hours, hours and hours of prayer. It was a very special prayer during this uh, a, difficult uh, hours and uh, it was something that helped me a great deal you know uh, sometimes it's more difficult to get concentrated in prayer there mm -hmm. sometimes feel it's uh, all in vain you continue to pray and all in vain 
one of my stool pigeons these uh <laughs> the mates in my first very first months when uh, he saw my prayer, he kept asking me, do you think your God will help me? Oh, yes, he did. I survived, and we won. Mm -hmm. Can you comment on your cellmates, pr prison mates, labor camp mates, and people that you met while you were incarcerated? Did you form any friendships? Do you remember any relationships yeah, that you yes one episode i will tell you one episode uh when the camp uh, uh sunday was uh, our say free day and uh, during the uh, roll uh, all the inmates uh, were told to, to go down uh, to the yard and there was uh, some barrier between between our barrack and the Next one. And all of a sudden, uh, I see there a person who looked like an intelligent person, uh, peculiar uh, sight among uh, the criminals there, much older than myself. Uh, I couldn't uh, understand uh, what ethnicity was uh, him. Is he Jewish? He... I called him. Was not Jewish. He was sort of a dissident. Is nothing. He wrote uh, a letter of protest or read something that the authorities would disapprove. It was sufficient to get three years of imprisonment. And in my case, there was uh, the the world jewelry and uh, many many other non-Jewish friends that helped. And he was all alone. His wife and he. That's his entire entire realm. And it's it's a peculiar. Feeling, I was so weak, so sick, dragged my feet physically. And when I saw a person that is even weaker than myself, it changed my. I felt burst of energy. We started to get friendly. I helped. Uh, I tried to 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 encourage him, uh, and I felt a new dimension in my life emerged. Unfortunately, didn't didn't last. The authorities definitely saw that that I'm enjoying a new company, and uh, they were brought in a very distant barrack, the opposite uh, part of the camp. The only thing I could imagine is to collect some food. I already have some some food in my disposal. Mm -hmm. To 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 find the time before the evening roll to go behind the barracks uh, to him and brought the food for him. That was uh, the last time I saw him in the camp. We met after uh, we were both released. Unfortunately, it didn't last many, much more after his release. I recall him uh, with warmth. You know, it's, it's absolutely incredible. You, you, you're so sick, so weak, moving slowly. And... All of a sudden, all of a sudden, I, I didn't, I didn't know about such a phenomenon. I'd experienced my, 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 my myself. What was your first impression of Israel after you arrived? What was your first impression of Israel after you arrived? Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I was. I will tell you more than that. I was brought to the primetime television interview. And the anchor asked me the question. She said that you 
fought for this country for so long. Now what now? What's now? You're here. What about your dream? What about the reality? Reality never meets the dream. I will tell you not what I actually told her, but what I wanted to tell her. I wanted to tell her, yes, the dream has to be kept. It's It gives us the ideal image we, we need to try to grow up to. We understand the reality is different. You know, I enjoy being in Israel. It's a country uh, where many things I would uh, have uh, suggested to mend. But I feel at home. It's the only place in the world where I feel. I, there is, a, there is a, a special spirit here. There's something in the atmosphere. It's, it's a holy land. It's a holy. Uh, it's a shock. You know, you, you, we started uh, many years ago. I thought about the certain image, certain people, how the reality could be. The people are very independent. Uh, very, um, I don't know, everyone, uh, not everyone, those I, I'm content with them are uh, in, in, they, they know what they, they want to achieve. They're very uh, so um, driven to the, the, to the uh, goal. People uh, who are not afraid of confront, confronting the, the difficulties. Now there's people uh, that uh, the elder generation that fought uh, the, the wars, uh, they won. That's a unique country. It's no, no, not, no, nothing uh, else uh, comes close to that. I'm very glad. I, I want myself uh, already worn out. My, my children, my grandchildren will continue to help, will bring our country. It's the only place we could be, we de could determine our destiny. It's truly important, absolutely. I feel we are part of the mission, was historic mission of return of the exiles. I feel it uh, intensively. What life lessons did you learn during your ordeal? What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about humanity? I learned that uh, there is a miracle in our lifetime. Because one people ask me how you, I didn't know. I think uh, the second thing, uh, the second lesson was uh, that uh, when there is a, when you feel a moral imperative, don't make cold calculations of the chances to succeed. Go for it. I think uh, we also have to understand uh, that uh, when uh, we are prepared to go to the very end, most probably the adversary will give in. Don't feel scared. It's dangerous. They, they feel the blood. Uh, there are missions in our lifetime. Seek it. Find it. Do it. Don't be afraid to be in the minority. When it comes to to, to Israel, uh, it's important to, to help to build. Uh, I'm I have changed uh, greatly. You know, I in my uh, during my youth years, I could never imagine myself uh, in in the front confrontation with the KGB. It's absolutely unimaginable, incredible. 
you change little by little uh, each time contemplating the next step. During the, the four years uh, of the project, uh, when uh, the dangers were imminent, clear, from time to time, I told myself, uh, maybe you should, uh, maybe you've done enough, maybe you should uh, leave the project, let others do something. And uh, I could not. First, I thought uh, I'm the, the right person for the for this project. Uh, I'm a right person because uh, I felt it very deeply and because I have a natural uh, inclination not to disclose secrets. There is no problem for me whatsoever. For, for many people, it's difficult because they feel the, the, the urge to tell the secrets. I, I'm just the opposite. I am grateful. I feel honored when I'm uh, given uh, secret information, when I'm privy to secrets, that's uh, on myself. I thought I know too much whether to get introduced to the project, to get them accustomed. Uh, I simply couldn't leave it because it was so much. I changed a great deal. Uh, you know, a person who emerged from, uh, emerged, emerged from these places have a different, different perspective on life. Every single day is, uh, is a grant, is a present. It's so, it's so incredible. Uh, if, I, uh, if anybody else uh, would have told me such a story, I wouldn't have believed it. Sometimes I recall it, I ask myself, was it myself? I recall all those nights on the cot, cold nights without blankets near the cold wall and I kept asking myself if there is a, any end to it, yes, I am a happy person. I took upon myself an impossible mission, mission impossible, and was among those <laughs> who happened to be there when it was lamented. I contributed. I was granted the opportunity to, to do something positive. I'm happy. Would you like to be asked any additional questions? That, or do you need to go? I wanted to ask you before. If there Proceed. was a the last question, uh, let's try to address the last questions. I question. I think uh, it's. Uh, sure. I think I covered the entire realm. Sure. Thank you. Um, what would you like to teach today's young generation of Jews? based on your personal lived experiences from you what should they learn what should they know what wisdom should they take away great question i think uh from what i know one of the central uh, subjects of learning of the younger jewish generation is around the holocaust i think it's not enough i think we need uh, to add a positive story uh or sufficient uh, suffering, no way to describe it. We need to, to add the positive story. The saga of Soviet Jewry was a positive story. It was the story that needs to be learned, whether uh, personal stories uh, of the Jewish activists or the story as a whole, because uh, even one uh, touched by the media it's always one-sided. It's always presented uh, as uh, it were 
several uh, famous personalities uh, like Sharansky, like uh, Silva Zalmanson, like Yosef Mendelevich, Yosef Bigun, Eden Noodle. They are very important and dear people, but there were more than that. I myself saw already a movement. It's important to understand and to teach that there was a movement. People who never came uh, to the captions deserve your attention. It is the rare case when uh, the Jewish people, along with uh, our friends, Nonchos demonstrated that the unity could win in the battle against a formidable, formidable uh, force, a great superpower. And uh, that's the subject. The second thing uh, is, uh, you know, uh, it's not only uh, the uh, religious part of, of that. It's a peoplehood. I feel the pain of other Jew, whatever uh, he shares my views or not, even if he or she is in the opposite part of the globe. Let's try to feel, to imagine us as a big extended family. Let's try to do something deeper for Israel. Let's understand what's going on in the Middle East without uh, making uh, haphazard uh, conclusions. Let's try to understand, at least from the Israeli, Jewish Israeli point of view. Let's help to protect Israel and to encourage and to help in whatever place in campuses against the anti-Israeli propaganda. It's a real thing against, uh, uh, say, uh, camps against uh, propaganda to help uh, in media, to help in business, to help uh, sharing uh, the scientific knowledge. There is a mission in your time as well. Secret mission. Check if, it, if it's uh, real or imaginable. Try to help. There is a lot of help. Don't try to impose on Israel your ideas or what called solutions. Uh, be attentive. Be attentive. There is an enormous depth to the Jewish civilization. It survived everybody. It's open to you as well. Learn Hebrew. It opens uh, the eyes. That's enough. Thank you. Thank you. Um, there's actually one other question I was curious to ask you, but I don't want to go overboard. Um, I was curious, which which of the Jewish activists in the Soviet Union did you know best? What relationships did you have with other activists? Um, did you know Ida Nudel, Yuli Edelstein? Can you allude to different people who you may have known? What was your relationship like with other activists? Okay. Uh, we... Let's uh, let's try to uh, try to de depict the picture. It was a whole spectrum of different activities. I never met uh, Ida in, uh, in the USSR and never uh, wanted to know her because she was a famous person. And again, I was involved in the underground project. Either or, 
Yuli Edelstein, on the contrary, was my partner in this project. Mm. I knew him perfectly well. And we were colleagues in what we were doing because he also uh, was a, an active Hebrew teacher, both, both in Moscow and uh, in the framework of the project. And uh, his house search when he was planted uh, uh, drugs was according to my legal file. So we were uh, in, quite interconnected. I wrote him uh, letters uh, to his camp. He was a close uh, associate and a close friend who has mutual photos, everything. Uh, you know, there were peculiar places where, uh, say, Ida or Bikun or, uh, for instance, uh, Sharansky uh, uh, was not involved in cultural activity. He was involved more in political activities, and he kept very important a communication with foreign correspondents. So he, when, he, when he was arrested, uh, we, we lack, lacked uh, this uh, connection badly, so we tried to, to compensate one way or another, but uh, he's a special person. I could not, uh, you know, <laughs> this was Stalin's slogan uh, that everybody can be replaced. My feeling, at least in the Jewish world, that now they can be replaced. So Sharonsky could not be replaced, naturally. But they were, they were famous people that uh, would be very... Uh, uh, bad idea for me to, to communicate with them. We jumped here. Okay, so uh, uh, I was involved in the part that encompassed uh, most of the people its cultural activity, including the, uh, Hebrew education, religious groups, and that. So uh, among uh, the famous people uh, I knew maybe a Stain, as we mentioned, and in uh, Bikun and uh, and uh, Slepak, but uh, the communication with them was really when uh, I was released from the imprisonment. Like I intentionally kept the distance from most of these famous uh, personalities. Okay, thank you, thank you for your time. Thank you for all the wisdom that you imparted to us and thank you for everything you sacrificed in your life and everything you sacrificed to make this book possible it is a chilling yet inspiring read that i was deeply moved by thank you thank you all right thank you all the best for for our listeners thank you as we bring our dialogue today to a close i'm your host on the new books networks new books and jewish studies channel I've been in dialogue today with Efraim Kolmiansky. He is the author of the memoir, The Voice of Silence, The Story of the Jewish Underground in the USSR, published in Boston by Academic Studies Press, 
2021. Thank you. Thank you.